Hello and welcome back to Far From Perfect. I am your host, Kylie Larson, and today I am interviewing Karen Nordine. Karen is a behavior change expert and she is the CEO and founder of Body Brain Alliance. I actually initially found Karen through my studies with Precision Nutrition because she is part of their curriculum design team. Clearly, she is a one smart cookie. So Karen's work focuses on two things. One, helping people approach self-help without self-hate, and then helping people close the gap between knowing what to do and actually doing it. So (laughs) I'm sure even as you're just listening to this intro, you're like, oh yeah, that's me. All of us, like we know what we need to do, but for some reason there's this disconnect between actually doing it. And that is where Karen and her team come in. So we talk a lot about the difference between Um, therapy and coaching about the issues that we have with personal development and how we can make personal development a little bit more helpful. And then she also explains to us how our brain works, right? Our brain cannot tell the difference between a small task and a big task. And that was actually very validating for me. So make sure you check Karin out on Instagram. I have links to all of her stuff in the show notes. Enjoy this episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to Far From Perfect, everyone. You are in for a treat today because I have Karen Nordine here with us. And Karen, I I actually knew you before I knew you, right? Because of all the precision nutrition stuff. Yes. And so I I honestly don't remember how I found you on social media, on Instagram. But when I saw your name, I like went back to my PN stuff and I was like, is this, is this her? And to be honest with you, I was also shocked how <laughs> youthful you are. <laughs> yes, I'm very young. Like, tell us, what is, are you still, do you still have a relationship with Precision Nutrition? So, okay. So for a little backstory for those who are listening, um, I'll tell you how I got into what I, what I do, what I do now and and how that involves PN. Okay. So I did my degree in health behavior change, health communication, technically. And I worked on a lot of educational psychology and like growth mindset stuff there. So I'm really an expert on how people learn, how people think, and how that influences their health behavior. And when I got done with my PhD, I was like on track to be a tenure track professor at the university level. I had studied under one of like the best basic course directors she was, you know, linking me up with people. I got a job offer and it was 2020. And I was like, nope, I am not going to go live in a tiny university town with, you know, people I don't know. Yeah. And so I actually went to the PN website because I was thinking about becoming a nutrition coach. I was thinking about getting my L1 mm-hmm. and I saw that they had a director of curriculum at PN, which would have been my title had I worked in the university setting. And so all of a sudden my brain exploded 
because I realized that there was a job out there where someone was doing what I had been doing, but in the world of health and fitness and personal development, which I had been really passionate about forever. So long story short, I, in a series of coincidences, get connected with Krista Scott Dixon, who is the director of curriculum at PN. And she sees my LinkedIn profile and is like, whoa, we're building this thing called PN Academy. Will you come in and be a subject matter expert for us as a writer? And so I think at this point I was, that was 2020. So I was 28, fresh out of grad school. And I started with them as a contractor and eventually grew into full-time. So that's how I got my start in sort of the industry. I was running a coaching business on the side, but I started by working at PN. I was writing, I'm involved in several of their courses and I was helping them with curriculum as well. That is so fantastic. And I just, I think it's amazing. And what an amazing opportunity. Like you're clearly meant to be doing what you're doing. Yes. Yeah. It was a great experience. So you have your PhD. Sure do. Where did you get your undergrad? Um, so I actually have an undergrad, a master's and a PhD. So I got my undergrad from this tiny, tiny college in Minnesota called Gustavus Adolphus College. Um, and that was in psychology. And then I did my master's degree in interpersonal communication at the University of Alabama. And then I did a PhD in health communication, the study of how communication influences health behaviors at George Mason. So cool. So now with all of that, Mm -hmm. how do you help people? So what I like to say is that I help people do two things. I help them approach self-help without self-hate. And I approach, I help people close the gap between knowing what to do and actually doing it. Mm -hmm. And the way we bridge that gap is with science Mm -hmm. and by taking things like just do it and be more disciplined and like leverage motivation or even like really, really basic things. Like a lot of people will say, make it a habit. How, how, how do I do that? Right? So we are experts because of my curriculum design experience at making self-help very tangible, very broken down and very applicable rather than some like generic fluffy thing you're just supposed to think about, but no one actually gives you instructions on how to do. I love that because I also, um, I love self-improvement, self-help and all of that, but I also at the same time hate it. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, it doesn't tell anyone what to do. Like even for me, one of the things that I struggle with, and I think you'll appreciate it, is washing my face before I go to bed, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a grown ass woman. I should be able to do these adult things, but I don't want to, I can't, and I can't, I, you know, I need to figure out a thing, but it's more than just, just do it, Kylie, do the habit. Well, clearly I have an issue with it. So now what? Yes. I love that. Yeah. Well, even getting past like what I heard you say there, right. If I can jump in with a coaching hat for a second is like, I should be able to do this. Yes. And what I always tell clients is that your brain has no distinction between what is a tiny task and what is a monumental task. Like mm-hmm. calling your dentist can be Mount Everest in your brain. There's there's no such distinction, right? Yeah. And so instead of saying like, I should be able to do this, I should just do it. That's where we need to take a compassionate first approach, which is very based in curiosity and be like, okay, like what, 
are the barriers here? What is it that's stopping me? Like, even if those things are tiny and like they're excuses, quote, quote, or you should be able to just get over it. No, like treat every reason your brain is giving you as a real reason and get creative about how you can work with your brain and you'll have a much easier time changing. I love that. And I'm sure somebody just had like a major light bulb go off as they're listening to this while they're walking their dogs. Well, and you were actually recently talking about this and the post that you made was it's what the self-help books forgot to tell us Mm -hmm. about change. And you dove into the thoughts, feelings, actions. Could Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. So I find that self-help is kind of divided into two polar categories. So one of the categories is very action focused. It's like you need to change your environment in this way and you need to set up your habit exactly like this and you need to write a smart goal. And they, they're giving you all of these like tactics, right? These very tangible like step one, two, three method kind of thing. And then there's this other half of the self-help world that's like, you need to tap into your inner goddess. Oh my God. Okay, go on. Yes. You need to find your values. You need to become your fullest self. And it's very like vague, value-oriented, fluffy without giving you any direction. Mm -hmm. And so really what we need to be doing is we need to connect those two sides. Mm -hmm. So we need big picture thinking with small day-to-day strategy. And when you link those two, that's when the magic happens. It's so funny. I was honestly thinking about that when I was in the shower this morning Because I feel like there's two voices out there, at least in terms of like business coaching, which is no Mm -hmm. different than personal development. We have the bros who are like, go hard, get up early, do it, all that. And then Mm -hmm. we have the super femme, which are, you got to really listen, take your breaks, super flowy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, where's the happy medium? And enter Karen. Enter Body Brain Alliance. (laughs) Enter Body Brain Alliance, everyone. Yes. So true which I'm a part of everybody. (laughs) We love that. We love that. So the other thing I see people struggling with too a lot is um, time management, right? Mm -hmm. I always wonder, even personally, like, is it I have too much to do or am I not that great at managing my time? So what tips do you have? What do you see people struggling with? How do you direct clients through that struggle? Yes. So first we need to realize that the phrase time management is kind of a catch-all, right? Mm -hmm. It's like this, it's like your junk drawer. Like all of the problems that we have with time, we put under this umbrella of time management. And we actually have a course on this called Compassionate Calendar. Mm -hmm. And the first thing you do in the course is you start to establish like, what, what do I actually mean by time management? Because for me, the purpose of time management is not to get more done. It is to live a more intentional life. Is it's to match up your actions with your values and your results, right? Mm-hmm. Those three things need to be aligned. And so in order to do that, we first need to figure out like what's going wrong in terms of time management. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, especially people who love their planners and their tools and everything, what you're not doing is you're not planning compassionately. So you're putting a schedule in your calendar every single week that doesn't allow you to be a human and that's wildly unrealistic. Mm -hmm. And then you fail again and again and again and it just sort of slowly erodes your self-trust. When you're constantly promising yourself something and not meeting that promise, 
that's going to erode self-trust. And what we need to do, since we can't just decide one day to meet all of our promises, we've all tried that, it hasn't worked, right? Mm -hmm. Is we actually need to stop making promises. Yeah. We actually need to commit to less, we need to reduce. So that's like the, the, the first bucket I see. But the second bucket I see with time management is people are being derailed by their thoughts and their um, their urges in any given moment. So just like you can have the urge to eat that additional cupcake, you can also have the urge to scroll on your phone instead of working on your resume. Mm-hmm. And when you start to bring awareness to what emotions you are feeling and what's driving you towards the behaviors you're engaging with as it relates to time, that usually makes a huge impact for people. Oh, I love that. I really like the fact that you just talked about committing to less. Um, You know, my typical clients are, you know, my age, let's say 35 to 55, and they have no problems doing more. Like if you told them, okay, you need to do this and this and this on top of everything they're doing, they'd be like, yes, Karen. Yes, Karen. I will totally do that. Yes, Kylie. So they need to be told to do less. And lately I've told them it's okay to sleep instead of like, go get your morning workout. And I said, I switched to three days of lifting and so many messages like, thank you for that permission to do less. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like so many people need this message. It's okay to commit to less. Yes. Well, and one thing I think is really toxic, especially as we're getting into new year season is these wheels that everybody has in their planner where you have like six domains of your life and you're encouraged to set a goal in every aspect of the wheel. And so then all of a sudden you're working towards six or eight or 12 or 14 or 16 different habits. Mm -hmm. And you're wondering why you're not making progress. And the metaphor I always use is you just ran 26 miles. You just ran a whole marathon, but you ran one mile of 26 different races. Mm. So you never got to a finish line and you never got to celebrate that gold medal. And so you're feeling exhausted. You're feeling like you did all this work. You're feeling like you're burning out and you're like, I'm putting all this effort in. Why am I not getting the results? Because you're not being essentialist. You need to pick one race, maybe two races, run those, go all in on those things Mm -hmm. instead of setting a goal in every freaking domain of your life in order to try to achieve perfection overnight. Truly. And like, I feel like the first way we're doing six different things, you never really get anywhere. You're still running in a circle, picking one. Yeah. I can actually make some progress. Yeah. Oh, why do you think it's so hard for people to do that? I think it has to do with societal expectations of like what we're supposed to accomplish and even what our brains theoretically are capable of doing. So I think there's a societal norm, but I also think we need to recognize that in that moment where you set 10 goals and you convince yourself you're going to change your whole life and become magically perfect overnight in that, the, the hour that you're doing that, you escape the sense of frustration that you have with yourself. Oh, it's providing you an immediate reward to plan like that. When you time block your entire, when you take your entire to-do list and you scrunch it all into your calendar, even though somewhere in the back of your mind, you know that not everything's going to get done. Uh That is giving you this like momentary hit of relief of this, like I can actually get it all done. And so we have to acknowledge that there is 
an implicit neurological reward there that is driving us towards taking these like all are like crazy projects on all the time because in the moment we're getting that sense of accomplishment but it's a it's sort of a false sense right it's a high and then a crash and if we want to look out for our future selves that's the behavior we need to stop I know it's so fun um we're we're doing a four-week focus in one of my communities I don't do challenges I have a major issue with the word challenge because look who I'm dealing with you know who I'm dealing with we don't need more challenges (laughs) I even have a major issue with goal setting, but that's different. So anyway, I was like, okay, we're going to do a four-week focus. Pick one thing, one thing. Mm-hmm. I had to remind people, just one. Like, you just to give me a water goal, a step goal, and a workout goal. I just want one. It's so mm-hmm. funny. We're Humans are funny. And like, I'm not exempt from that at all, right? Right. But I just love seeing, it's good to know we're not alone. I guess I'll say it like that, you know? Yes. <laughs> no, no, I see the same problems in slightly different packages across all of our clients, basically. Who do you have like a typical client? Um, that's a really good question. Do we have a typical client? No. And I would say the one, the one typicality across our entire clientele, across our academy members and our alliance coaching members is that they are people who see a version of themselves that they want to be. They've been craving this version for years and they can't figure out how to get there. But beyond that, it's very broad. We have people who are 65 and just retired and are trying to find themselves in retirement in Change Academy. Mm -hmm. We have people who are students and are 21 and are trying to, you know, like create time management systems that are going to last a lifetime for them. We have everybody in between. We have moms and nurses and firefighters and shift workers and corporate workers. Like our diversity in terms of careers and what people's lives look like is crazy. But the commonality is that they all have that inner desire to change. That's amazing. And I think just a testament to what it is that you offer and how you are able to help your clients. So what, what are some of the success stories that you have? Like when someone is done coaching with you, if the process ever ends, like what are the differences that they are experiencing? Above all, the thing that we hear from clients is that they can navigate obstacles and not feel like it's a massive setback. So they can skip the workout and get back to it the next day. They can go on holiday vacation and still stick with the minimized version of their habits that they've already, that they agreed on ahead of time. So they feel so much more capable of navigating adversity in their life because they know they have the skills. They've dropped this idea that everything's going to be perfect. And instead they're their minimum baseline behaviors have risen. So their baseline is so much higher. What they do on their worst day is so much higher that that's what's actually transforming their life. And that's what's so important, those worst days. Mm -hmm. Well, that leads me to like the next thing I want to talk about, being flexible with this. Yes. (laughs) So you just mentioned minimizing the version of your habit. In case someone isn't familiar with what that means, can you talk about that? Sure. So I'm going to actually teach you our framework for how we help clients be more flexible, develop what's called cognitive flexibility, okay? So what we do is when our clients decide to take on a habit, we encourage them to do two things. 
One, we encourage them to look at that habit as a spectrum. And two, we encourage them to match that habit with a value. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you really want as a habit, you want to be exercising every day. We might have you scrunch that around. And instead we put that as 30 minutes of intentional movement. Okay. So we've moved from exercise to movement, which makes it a little, a little bit more broad. And then we ask, what is the value behind that? So maybe the value behind 30 minutes of intentional movement is that you want to feel active. Mm. Okay. So then Tuesday, Wednesday rolls around, you've been doing your 30 minutes of movement. And all of a sudden you have a packed day, you have daycare pickup and soccer practice and this and that and the other thing. And the only window you have is 10 minutes while you're waiting to pick your daughter up from school. Okay. What we tell our clients is in that moment, you cannot get 30 minutes of movement done. But in that moment, you can still embody your value of being active. You can walk around the block of that school. And so having the value as a North Star helps our clients see the deeper purpose, the why behind each of their habits. Mm -hmm. And it also helps them know how to adjust when they encounter life, busy days, obstacles, meetings that pop up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's that's how we do it. And we have them map out ahead of time, like what are a couple different versions of what this habit looks like that I could do in situations where my circumstances are a little bit different or challenging. And then someone just feels so much more successful. Yes. So you really get them out of that all or nothing thinking. A hundred percent. Oh, that's so great. And like, I always think if you can get over that game over, right? Yes. Game over. Yeah. And how freeing to then know that you can trust yourself and. Well, and I think even with that, if I can pick on that a little bit. Yeah. I, I don't like to tell clients that they will overcome perfectionism or that all or nothing thinking will not exist, mm -hmm. right? Cognitive flexibility is in some senses the opposite of all or nothing thinking, mm -hmm. but they can also exist at the same time because all or nothing thinking is what your brain is going to offer you and cognitive flexibility is how you're going to choose to respond. Mm -hmm. So the perfectionistic voice in your brain Mm -hmm. is not going to go away. And if we try to make it go away, if we try to seek a world where we're never having that desire to, you know, do it perfectly and hit that streak and not do it today because we didn't do it yesterday, like that's unrealistic. And it's, that's what drives the sense of like, something's wrong with me because I have these thoughts, right? Sure. So instead those thoughts can be there all or nothing, Karen, she's allowed to exist. She's allowed to be at the party, yeah. but like, I'm the one in charge. I love that. My therapist always says, you can't kick anyone off the island, Kylie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. How fun. Well, so one thing that um, we have one-on-one -on -one clients struggle with is yeah. actually completing their check-ins. Yes. You know, because they feel bad because they didn't do what they said they would do. But you were recently talking about this and why it's still important to check in. Mm -hmm. can, you, can you talk more about that? <laughs> Yes. So I am a client in our own coaching program. And there was a day about a month ago where I had a really rough week and I didn't want to check in. I had all this resistance to it because I was like, I didn't get anything done and it's just not going to be helpful, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So two days later, I sat myself down and I was like, you know what? If I want to get out of this funk, what I actually need is support. 
And the way I'm going to get support is through showing up and telling my coach, honestly, what's going on. So I submitted my check-in and our coaches have a very strict boundary where if you submit 24 after the 24 hour mark, you're not going to get a response. And that's because we work with a lot of clients who want to enforce boundaries and we have to model that for them. So I knew I wasn't going to get a response, but simply the act of filling that out helped me emotionally comprehend what had happened. It helped me feel through my feelings and it helped me get to a point where I actually had my own solutions, which is why it's triple as important to check in on the weeks where you aren't feeling like it's going to be useful because that's actually when it's the most important. You know, as we're talking about all of this, what I'm really coming away with, and I hope the listeners are too, is that change is not going to just happen. Yeah. It takes a lot of I don't know if effort is the right word, intentionality. I don't know. What research shows is it takes six months of sustained, they call it effort, but what that effort really means is intention. Mm -hmm. So you need to pick something and stick with that thing, even if the way you go about it slightly varies Mm -hmm. for at least six months. And this is one of the biggest things I see clients Um, let me go back. What we did recently in our program is we added a question. This was about maybe like six months ago. Now we added a question to our clients check-ins. That's like, what is your number one goal? And every single week they have to rewrite Mm -hmm. their number one goal in the program because we are people that have human brains. And that means we're going to want to divert. That means we're going to want to go this way and that way and the other way. We're going to want to, you know, go new shiny object goal over here. But if what we can do is consistently redirect ourselves back to that center and sustain that intention for six months, that's when you're going to see change. Wow. I love this. It's related, but unrelated to like our conversation. I'm a nutrition coach. And one of my biggest things is getting people to live in maintenance. Like they're not trying to lose weight. They're just trying to maintain their healthy habits. And boy, do people struggle and we want them their six months minimum. And now I'm feeling like this is definitely something that we need to be doing. Like maintenance is a goal when it comes to like, you know, nutrition and everything. Um, that's powerful. So it's like so much more than the 21 days that whatever the people say is right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Way more. (laughs) So, um, back to that time management and productivity Well, slash productivity a while ago, you had made a post about tips on productivity, Mm -hmm. my top six tips for boosting productivity. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that too? I thought it was such an excellent post and I have it up if you want to see it. Yes. I would love to see it because to be honest, I talk about productivity so much that I probably have like 60 tips and I just need to Uh know. I'm going to share it with you. I pulled it up just for us. Okay, great. (laughs) Okay. 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 Um, Yeah. So I can talk through some of these if, if that's what you want to do. Yeah. I would love to do that. Yes. Okay, great. So the first tip I have is when you are looking at your calendar for the week, before you put anything else on your calendar, you need to ask yourself, what is going to help me be the best version of me? Those are your supportive activities. And I know a lot of people are going to tell me, well, Karen, I have kids. Well, Karen, I have a job. Well, Karen, I have a lot of other things that are going on. Yes. Let me reality check you for a second. All of the things that people need from you are dependent on you. 
which means you are your number one asset. Mm -hmm. I was talking about this on a podcast earlier, actually, like earlier this year, as a business owner, I had to make a $50,000 decision. Mm -hmm. If I had skipped my morning routine and I had gone into that decision in a different mindset, I would have made a $50,000 mistake. Mm -hmm. And so you cannot tell me that spending 30 minutes on yourself in the morning is not going to have a positive ripple effect on everything and everyone else around you. Everyone needs you to put yourself first, period. Your kids need that. Child psychology supports that. I, um, If you want to follow Curious Neuron, she talks a lot about that. Um, I'll reference her. She has no idea, but I love her account. I'm not a parent, but I love her account because she talks about how emotional regulation as a parent is passed on to your children. Oh, yeah. So that's tip number one is your supportive activities become a non-negotiable. I love that. Tip number two is stop expecting yourself to focus longer than two hours straight. There's actually research that indicates that our thinking ability drops after like 90 minutes. Hmm. And I know what you're going to tell me again. Well, Karen, I'm at work. I'm working my nine to five. I can't just, you know, go out for a walk and that's fine. But even if you can take, like, let's say you do a 90 minutes of focus and then you, you know, procrastinate, sit in your office chair for a couple of minutes, dilly dally, and then maybe do some like lighter admin work that can be huge. Mm -hmm. You would not expect yourself to hold a barbell over your head for long periods of time without it being hard. Stop mm -hmm. expecting your brain to be able to operate in 100% focus mode 40 hours a week. Oh, so true. The third one is task bundling or batching. Mm -hmm. So when your brain enters a certain type of thinking, let's say that you have to, um, let's say that you're doing emails, you're answering emails. It helps your brain to do a bunch of emails at once because it's doing like tasks together. But if you are focusing and then all of a sudden an email comes in, there's research that shows that even seeing that email notification, your brain is more distracted for the next 16 minutes. And you can pull that study and you can show it to your boss and be like, listen, I know you don't want notifications off, but this is the psychological research that indicates that I should be able to have at least one focus time per day. And we've had clients, tons of clients advocate for themselves in their workplace in terms of like, I need at least one hour a day where I am not expected to respond to other people. And that has been an overwhelmingly positive experience for them. Even the people who thought like my boss is never going to go for this type of situation. So oh, I believe that 100% because like my most um, creative time is in the morning. Yeah. And if I have Facebook or Instagram or email open and I see anything pop up, I don't have a notification, on, but you know, you get a little one, two or whatever. Yes. I'm derailed and I'm like, lost it. Great. Lost this. A hundred percent. So as much as you can batch tasks and get rid of distractions. Okay. Number four include time when you are not focusing during your day. And let me tell you, when you are scrolling on TikTok, you're using focus. When you are watching a Netflix show, you're using focus. If you feel like you can't focus at work, it's probably because you spend all of your hours focusing on something. So mm -hmm. this is where movement and boredom can come in. I know it's super uncomfortable. Sit on the couch for five minutes 
and just let yourself think. Mm -hmm. Because I want you to imagine, again, holding a dumbbell above your head and then you get five minutes of relief Mm -hmm. before you have to hold it again. That's huge. That's going to drastically impact the like the strength you have to hold that dumbbell on how long you're able to. And your brain works the same way. Well, I can only imagine, um, I keep hearing people talking about being overstimulated, like a lot of mothers are even our kids. And yes. this is there any other way to combat that than this? Well, not that I know of, right? That overstimulation and focus are different things, right? But when it comes to overstimulation, what you want to do is you want to put yourself in a situation, if possible, where there's less stimulation. And I know this is like a, I'm going to say it and it sounds simple, but it's not. Even if you can reduce the stimulation a little bit, if you can like wear noise canceling headphones when your kids are screaming, that type of stuff can make a huge, huge difference. Okay. I've been asking a lot of people this question. Mm -hmm. You may not be an expert in this field, but I just want to open this dialogue. Yeah. I feel like everybody is being diagnosed with ADHD. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, do you really have ADHD? Or are you just trying to focus on too many things at once? What are your thoughts on that? What are you seeing? Yeah. So I'll speak to this from the perspective of a behavior change expert who also has diagnosed ADHD. Awesome. And two things are happening. Number one is that when my generation grew up, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of boys who were diagnosed with ADHD. But at that time, when we were all in third grade, the criteria did not match the behaviors that girls are socialized into. Mm. So as girls were taught to be still, play quietly, right? It's much more socially acceptable for a young boy to be excited and running and destructive. And so there is a huge generation of what they call the lost generation of ADHD women, which is like millennials and younger who are right now being diagnosed. And it's not a surge in diagnoses necessarily. It's not a surge in the number of people. It's the the surge that would have been parallel to the boys all getting diagnosed at at when we were all in third grade. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a very real surge in diagnosis right now too. But I also think at the same time, our expectations of what a neurotypical brain is capable of handling are so skewed and so perfectionistic that when people don't meet those standards, they consider themselves, they think something might be wrong with them. They think they might be neurotypical. So I think for the most part, the self-diagnosis is like very valid. And I think a lot of people really were missed at that time. And it's very empowering to have that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. But I also think we all need to check our expectations of what neurotypical levels of focus look like, because we live in a world where everything around you is engineered to steal your focus. And so if you're jumping from thing to thing, that's a product of your environment as much as it could be a difference in your brain. Absolutely. And it just goes back to, we have to take, control is not the word, but own your power, own your part in this, be responsible with your time and everything. Yes. Well, I know for me, like, it'll get stolen. Yes. And what I like to say is when it comes to ADHD, like if you think you have it, or if you're not sure if you have it, applying some of the techniques that are for 
people with ADHD, like everybody with ADHD has a different brain. There are going to be, there's not like this one set of tactics that's going to magically make your brain work as, as an ADHD person. Instead, it goes back to the exact same things we work with with every client, which is experimentation, looking at what might help, trying a bunch of different things, figuring out what works for you. And you can do that whether you're neurotypical or neurodiverse or anywhere in the middle. Cool. Well, thank you for having that dialogue with me Mm -hmm. because I want to get to the bottom of it. (laughs) Yeah. The fifth one. Yes. Is do a focus audit to figure out your best approach. So what we do know about focus, aside from the neurodivergent discussion, is that focus is largely a byproduct of our environment and conditions, right? So we talked earlier about overstimulation. We can also be unable to focus because we're understimulated. And maybe we need to have a desk treadmill. Maybe we need to have music playing, right? Mm -hmm. So you can audit, like, when are the moments in your life where you have experienced the most focus? Where are the times in your day where you do tend to want to work on certain things and not other things? And look at your life as really the best evidence there is about what's going to work for you and amplify the things that are working. Very cool. And was that it? And the last one. Yes. And then the last one is really the practice of essentialism. So I like to identify my top task at the beginning of every single day. And this goes back to the idea of like reducing the amount that we're promising ourselves. I get it. You have more than one task that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. It's still going to help you to identify which one is the priority. Priority is a single, is singular. It is not meant to be plural. You do not have priorities. The word priorities never should have existed. Okay. Singular priority. One thing above all others. Yes, other things can be important, but what if if all went to shit and everything was competing with each other, what is the number one thing? Identifying that at the beginning of the day will help so much. I think you need a t-shirt because <laughs> priority is a singular thing, something to that effect. Yeah. If if your readers or your readers, your listeners haven't read the book Essentialism by Greg McEwen. I highly recommend it specifically for the people you tend to work with, the overachievers, do-it-allers. It's going to be that the priority thing is from that book as well. Cool. I can't wait to read it myself. I don't have a problem with it, but I love reading these, um, you know, anything that's going to help. Love it. So, okay. So how, how do you, we already talked about like how you help clients, but you have a couple different programs that people can choose from based on their needs. If they're a regular person, if they're a coach, let's mm-hmm. talk about the offerings that you have. Sure. Um, so for my regulars out there, um, we primarily have two different avenues. Um, we have change Academy, which is a DIY approach to learning change skills And we have Alliance Coaching, which is a done with you approach. So Alliance Coaching is one-on-one. You are in contact with your coach every week and your coach is giving you feedback on your life, the things that you're struggling with and assigning you pieces of our curriculum. So we have like an activity you're given every single week. You're reflecting on something. You are planning something out. It's literally in our portal. It will come to you almost like a virtual worksheet and you work through it. So you're actually applying what you're learning and building skills every single month. The other one, and this is where most people start, is our Change Academy membership, which is designed to be a DIY 
approach. So if you can't afford coaching, if coaching is inaccessible, you can start with Change Academy and you can get into our community and start learning about what are all of these different change skills. Um, do you know by chance when this podcast is going to air? I'm hoping to get it up. I have a, I don't have one up this week. So like tomorrow, Friday. Okay, great. Perfect. Um, that helps. So we are making some huge changes to Change Academy. Um, we're revealing Change Academy 2.0 in um, December, but our current members will find out about it on October 19th. So if you join by Friday, Friday, October 13th, you'll be able to know what's coming and you'll be able to access everything that is currently in the membership. So we do um, ask a coach calls where you can, we have an ask a coach feature where you can submit your thing that you're struggling with and a coach will get back to you and give you personalized advice on it. Um, we have workshops that you can get into and watch that have tons of different information. Um, in October, we'll be working on how to get past fear and build confidence. So that's our theme for the month of October. So that is where I highly suggest you start. And then if you are really, really, really wanting to focus on either your morning routine or time management, we have two courses that are specific to those. Meaningful Mornings is $19. It's open all the time. You can join anytime. And Compassionate Calendar is $197 and it opens twice a year. I love it. And it's Change Academy that I'm a part of. And it's it's fantastic. It's an amazing resource. We aren't supposed to know this stuff. You guys, I, I think sometimes we're like, I should already know how to do this. No, how would you know? How would you know? Like, yes. Get some right. help. And then yes. get Karen that offers the help. And I have a whole research team. So what we've done is we've done a workshop every month for the past two years. Um, and when you join, you get access to this month's workshop. But it's based on like my research team pulls studies and the latest psychological research. And so what you don't get in Change Academy is the lag time of a self-help book. So a self-help book is written two or three years before it actually is published because yeah. publication is a slow process. And the field of behavior change is new. Like it really started in the 80s. And that means three years is a huge time span. We can have entire frameworks like crushed in three years. And so at least with Change Academy, we are giving you access to the most updated information, which I think is powerful. Wonderful. Well, I have one last question for you. Um, can you describe the difference between therapy and coaching, like in your words? Yes. So I personally see the difference, and this is a discussion that I've had with other therapists. It is the difference between physical therapy and personal training. Mm -hmm. If you have an injury that you need to work through, if you have healing to do, you absolutely have to go to physical therapy first. And even if you've never done personal training and you want to start exercising, you might want to go to a physical therapist first to make sure you're moving correctly, make sure everything's working, make sure that you're all set to go. But after that, you might want to work with a personal trainer in order to build the muscle that you're looking for. And that is coaching. Coaching is future focused. We are not looking at the past. We are not looking at the deep reason why you ate that pizza slice yesterday. We are looking at what you're going to do about it tomorrow. So it's future focused primarily. Um, and it's also action oriented. So it's really about helping you plan, implement systems, um, build those change skills as opposed to the healing process, which is really, really important. Most of our clients are either in therapy concurrent with coaching 
or have been in therapy and have gotten to a place where their therapist said, hey, I think you need another resource. And we have a number of therapists who like refer people to us as well. I love it. I love everything that you're doing. I love the way you're building your business. Like as a fellow business owner, it's so inspiring and it's just, it's amazing. I love how you're helping people. Thank you for all that you do, Karin. Thank you. Thank I will you make sure me. everyone knows how to get a hold of you. They know about all of your offerings, which I cannot recommend enough. Sounds like uh, 2024 is going to be an amazing year for yes. you. Yes, <laughs> 2024 is going to be big for us. I'm like, where, what, where are we at? I don't know. <laughs> well, good luck with your world podcast tour. Thank you. And thank you so much for your time today. All right. Thank you again for tuning in to Far From Perfect today. Make sure you are following Karin on Instagram. I'm going to give you her handle. It is K-A-R-I-N-N-O-R-D-I-N-P-H-D. And of course, her company, Body Brain Alliance. So you can check out all of the offerings that she has. I cannot wait to talk to you next time. Bye-bye.